Well, the theme that, that runs throughout the book of Proverbs is found in Proverbs 9:10, where it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Uh, if we're going to be wise, if we're going to be able to apply knowledge in our lives and know how God's world works, we need to start by knowing God. We need to start by knowing who he is. We need to start by understanding that he's the foundation of all things. He's the creator of all things, that, that all things rest on him, all things center on him. And a big part of being wise and in, in living our lives in an orderly way in the world is recognizing that there is a sacred order to things. That God's at the center, he's the foundation, and then wisdom works to build on earth as it is in heaven. And then if we're wise people who build according to God's order for the world, according to God's order for our families and for our work, then that'll create greater stability here as we build order that reflects the true sacred order that's underneath all things. And so, so we just need to go and, and learn that God has made the world a certain way and then order our lives around that way, not try to change that way. I think one of the key areas that we need uh, to become wise in is God's purpose and his design behind the work that we do. And this is whether we're paid for our work through our jobs and careers or not paid for our work through things like parenting and serving the community, serving the church. God has a design for work. There's a sacred order for work and the wise will learn that order and then conform themselves to it. I think a lost doctrine in the church, at least among the circles that I was in for a long time, was the doctrine of vocation or the doctrine of work. There, there wasn't much teaching on what work is even for. And I spent a lot of time around a number of people who thought that if you're going to give your life to the Lord full time, then the only holy work you could do is full time Christian ministry. Um, so so the, the, the holy work, the one true calling was the call to the pastorate, the call to some kind of ministry, the call to be a missionary. And, and there was kind of this idea that all other work wasn't quite as holy. It wasn't quite as important. That there were the varsity Christians who became the pastors and the missionaries, and then everybody else is kind of JV, and you do your work, and your work basically exists so you can tithe and fund all of the real work. And, and their people would carry almost like a low-grade guilt all the time, like, oh man, I, I, was, I was called to follow the Lord with my life, but here I am working this secular job. Feeling like there was something wrong with that, like that was insufficient, like that wasn't really holy work, like somehow it was selling out and just living for a buck when they should have done the real holy work that's out there. And so it was this idea that, that the true calling and the, and the only holy work that there is, is the work of the ministry, while all other work is, is basically a second tier job at best. And I've definitely seen less of that recently. In fact, once in a while, I kind of have to make the other, the other argument where I'm like, hey, being a pastor is a real job too. Like, this is okay. This is, this is holy too. But... But I do think there's a big gap between, uh, there's a big gap in our understanding of how God made the world and, and what work is supposed to be. And so in Proverbs chapter six, uh, where we'll actually be for a couple straight weeks, there's a list of some of the, the foolish people who oppose God's order for the world. People who tear down instead of build. And as a result, they just spend their lives bearing bad fruit. And, and at the beginning of Proverbs 6, which we won't get into today, he describes the person who becomes surety for his neighbor, um, basically somebody who pursues easy money without working for it. And then in Proverbs 6, 6, he, he points out the sluggard or the lazy person. So Proverbs 6, starting in verse 6, he says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. 
without having any chief, officer, or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So Solomon does here what he often does. He looks at the natural world and he draws wisdom from it. And in verse six, he talks to the sluggard, to the lazy person, and he says, come over here and look at this colony of ants and learn some wisdom from it. What wisdom does he pull from it? Uh, verse seven, he says, the ant doesn't have any chief officer or ruler, but still prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. And in Palestine, there's a common kind of ant called the harvester ant that stores up grain in its nest all summer long to feed the whole colony all throughout the year. And so Solomon says to, to this lazy person, look at the ant. Look how hard that ant works to provide for its needs. And the ant doesn't do so because there's some chief telling it what to do. It just sort of does it by nature. It doesn't have someone on the outside organizing all of its work. There's no chief, but it gets up and goes. It gets up and gets stuff done all day long. And he says, so wise people like the ant don't need someone to tell them to work. They don't work because someone is making them. They work like the ant works because it's the nature of wise people to give their days to productive labor. And we won't get into it today, but wise people also rest as well. I mean, God set up the rhythm of creation where we work six and we rest one, but that's our ratio. Six days of, of getting stuff done to one day of rest. And so Solomon's saying here that, that wise people will know something about the way the world works. And that's that Proverbs 12, 11, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. The way the world normally works is that if we work hard, good things will come of it. There'll be provision for our families. God's world is, is green and the things that we plant grow here. So God made this world to be worked and hard work produces good. And to really understand how, how it works, knowing the story of how it all started uh, is essential. And so back in Genesis, the book of the beginnings, we have the beginning of work. In Genesis chapter two, verse seven, God has, has made everything. And then it says in verse seven, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. So God creates the world and then shortly he goes out and just starts getting his hands dirty, if you will. He starts working in, in the dirt, working in the dust to form a man. At the very beginning of the Bible, we see God working and he, he's working to make something come of the ground that he made. That work was being done by God before there was ever sin in creation. And so work is not the result of sin. It's not a penalty for sin. And if we see a holy God working the ground, he's not doing that because he got in trouble. That's not some kind of sentence. He's doing that because it's good. Otherwise, God wouldn't do it. And so at the very beginning of the Bible, the first worker is the Lord. We see him working for six days. He's creative. He delights in the work that he does. He works and he calls it good day after day after day. And so there's something fundamentally good about work. It's not a result of sin. And then right away in Genesis chapter two, verse eight, it says the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. 
So God's created everything, and now he, he orders part of his creation into this garden. He's not creating out of nothing here. He already created all things out of nothing, speaking his word, speaking everything into existence. But now he takes sort of the, the chaos paradise wilderness, and he creates some order in the heart of it. And he, he plants a garden in the east in Eden, and he puts man into that garden. And then Genesis 2.15, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, this is before there was any sin. This is before the serpent came in. This is before they were tempted. This is before they fell. God made people to work in his garden in paradise. And that's our ideal state. That's the ideal life for us. That's what we were made for. We were given good work to do. And so work by itself is a good thing. You know, sometimes we think that if Adam and Eve hadn't fallen into sin, if the world hadn't fallen, then life would be free from work. We would basically live a life where we spend seven days on the beach and rest and, and just sort of enjoy the beauty of creation. But from the very beginning, God set up the rhythm of work six and rest one. There, there would be work happening even if sin hadn't come into the world. This would have been a world with a lot of work going on, where creation was continually being subdued, where the, the chaos wilderness was turned into paradise garden, uh, where, where economies would be formed, new products would be developed from the world that God had made, technology would be created, divers would find pearls, gold would be mined, children would be raised, and all of that takes hard work. So God had designed right into the nature of humanity for us to go and do productive labor. So work is not part of the curse. We weren't designed to just sit on the beach all the time. We were designed to do that one out of seven. And then the rest of the time, we, we were designed to go and do productive, fruitful things. And so when you clock in at your job in the morning, don't quietly curse Adam in your heart. Like, it, it is not his fault you have to go to work. It's his fault your work stinks. But work by itself is, is not his fault. Work is God's design. Work is good. And we know this because when Jesus came, he came working. He didn't only do miracles, but he started out as a carpenter. He, he took God's creation and he brought order to it. He built things. But the truth is, jobs are a problem. Like our, our jobs are awful at times. And that's because when Adam and Eve fell, some of the punishment that came into creation was that the work that they were given to do was cursed. The work itself was still good, but it had this curse attached to it. And so in Genesis 3.16, when, when the penalty for sin is being handed out, it says, to the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. And that bring forth is rear children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your, of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So as a result of sin, child rearing and the good work that that is becomes difficult. Adam's job becomes hard. Now there are thorns. There, there's this perfect creation, but it's all laced and cursed with thorns now. 
The command now is not just dress and keep the garden and work the ground. It's do all of that, but understand that the ground is going to fight back at you. Just like Adam fought back against God by disobeying God at the beginning, God causes the ground now to fight back against Adam and disobey him. Work becomes hard and painful and full of thorns. Eve's work of of child rearing becomes hard. Work is good, but it's been tainted with a curse and laced with thorns. So that's why your job stinks. And that's why when you plant your lawn, it fights back at you with weeds and clover and creeping Charlie. Is why when you build your house, there's radon that seeps in and the materials decay and the cement didn't set the right way. This is why when you open your business, you feel like you're, you're fighting the, the hostile government and customers who are prone to suing you. It's why when you clean that office building where slobs work, you'll be doing it again next week, again and again and again. It becomes very futile in the labor that you do. It's why you, you're repairing cars that rust and keep falling apart. You're raising kids that don't always respond perfectly to your correction. The ground fights back. But work by itself is good. Jobs are hard because of that curse, but they're noble by design. And this is true of nearly every job. I mean, there are some jobs that are dishonest that Christians shouldn't do. Obviously, there are jobs that are illegal, jobs that do harm. Like, you shouldn't think, well, I can do any good endeavor, so maybe I'll sell crack. Like, no, like, that's, that's bad. That harms people. That's not legitimate work. Um, we shouldn't be involved in any kind of shady practices or dishonest sales work. Um, if the job is immoral, then we shouldn't do it. But if the job is moral, it has dignity. And this is whether it's considered menial or important by the world around us. It doesn't really matter. Work that produces something good has an inherent dignity to it. And we should all work. And we should all work very hard. Now, keep in mind that the proverb says that we should be diligent and that diligence produces wealth. But keep in mind that money is not the only form of wealth and actually shouldn't be the ultimate thing that Christians are after anyway. And so a lot of our work doesn't produce financial wealth. Sometimes our work produces godly kids. Sometimes our work produces church community. Sometimes our work produces a neighborhood where the neighbors know and love each other more. There are all kinds of products of the hard work. It also takes a lot of work to maintain a healthy walk with Jesus. I mean, we get up and we read our Bibles when we don't feel like it. We stay in Christian community when, when it's hard. We, we do those things for the long haul, and that usually does produce good. It produces a well-ordered heart and life in, in the long term. We have to work in all kinds of categories of life, not just in the places where, where we're going to get a financial paycheck for that work. But this principle of diligence applies to all of those areas. We should all be diligent whether our work is paid or not. And if we fail to be diligent and work hard, we can expect to not have all we need in any of those categories. Proverbs 24, verse 30, again, looking at the world around him, he says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw it and I considered it. I looked and I received instruction. So again, he walks by the field of this lazy guy and it's a mess. It's not producing any crop at all. And he's kind of walking there with his son and he says, we've got to learn from that guy's mistake. 
For the person who doesn't work, there isn't any food. This guy has a field, but instead of going out and doing the hard work of fighting back thorns and thistles and working in the hot sun, he's inside perfecting his video game skills, updating his Instagram 10 times a day, sleep until noon. And because he lacks sense, he doesn't see what the consequences of that will be, but they come. Verse 33, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. That a lack of diligence in any category, any category of our lives will produce poverty in that category. A lack of diligence to read our Bibles will produce a spiritual poverty. A lack of diligence to, to care and raise for our kids will produce bad fruits in their lives. This guy here is, is lazy, and as a result, he become, becomes poor. And he's saying here, that is how God's world works. The teaching of Proverbs is that if you are lazy, you will become poor. Now, we have to be careful here because the teaching of Proverbs is not that all of the poor are lazy. Those are different things. Like he, he's saying that laziness is a road to poverty for sure, but he's not saying that all the poor are lazy because Jesus was poor and not lazy. I mean, there are lots of other things that can make you poor besides laziness. And some of those things are good things. I mean, you can be really generous in your giving to meet needs around you, and it'll mean that you have less money. I mean, Christians should be people who give generously to push back darkness in all kinds of ways, where we give to our church, we give to meet needs in our community, and usually that means that we have less than we would have had had we not given that away. We give until we feel it. It means that our lives are not all they could be if we hadn't given so much. And so there are good reasons that people become more poor. Laziness isn't the only reason people become poor. There are good and non-sinful ways to become poorer. But laziness is one sure road to poverty. And then diligence, hard, smart work, will also usually produce an abundance. Proverbs 10 verse 4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And now again, if you're engaged here, you're immediately thinking of some of the exceptions because there are very rich, very lazy people who never worked a day in their lives. And we know about the famous trust fund kids who, who have just had everything handed to them their whole lives, very lazy, all they do, it seems, is party, but they stay very, very rich. So we know that there are some exceptions. We probably also know some people who are very hard workers but fall on hard times. Their industry goes away. They lose their jobs. I mean, look at all the people in our community who, who in the 90s had, had served and worked hard at Kodak for all of their, those years, and then digital pictures come along and the industry just starts to disappear. It wasn't their fault. It wasn't because they were lazy. I mean, people can go out and work really hard and get sued in a frivolous lawsuit and go broke. They can get hit with gigantic medical bills, and as a result of that, they, they never recover financially. So we know there are exceptions, but remember that Proverbs speak in generalities. We have this general teaching in Proverbs that the way that the world normally works is that if you're lazy, you'll go broke. If you don't work, you can expect the results of not working. And that laziness doesn't only cause problems for us as individuals, it's a problem for the whole community. Proverbs 10.5 says, He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest 
is a son who brings shame. She says, ah, there's, there's the dad who's ashamed of his lazy son. And that's because someone who isn't diligent ends up being a drag on everybody else. We're all called to do something productive with our time, and that doesn't only affect us. If we don't do that, we, we end up having others do productive things for us. And when we could work, but we don't, that is a, a shameful thing. And now again, in, in our church, there are plenty of people I know who legitimately can't work. And the Bible calls us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's not a shameful thing when you can't do these things. Um, there, there are times in life where you can't pull your own weight and you need the help of the community. And don't be afraid to ask. We want to be a church where we care for our members, that, that our members do not starve. Where if you fall on hard times, you're, you're cared for by the others. That's what a community is. That's what a church does. We, we're happy to do those things to help you. So don't be ashamed to ask if you fall on those hard times. There, there are people who genuinely need it. And, and honestly, we do this quietly behind the scenes all the time. It's kind of a non-negotiable for us that, that if you're part of this church, we make sure that those who are legitimately in need and legitimately falling on hard times will have the basic necessities of life met. So there's no shame in asking for help. But what the shame is, is to be a drag on a community because you lack diligence. If you have need because something bad happened to you, you're not being a drag on the community. It's our blessing to help you. It's a, it's a good thing that we get to help you with that. But if we lack diligence, if we don't contribute, if we don't work all that we can, then that ends up being a, a shameful thing. I mean, because all of us, when we're in any kind of community, whether it's a church community or the broader community, we all consume some resources in every community that we're part of. And the Bible teaches us to be people who contribute at least as much as we consume whenever we can. We're supposed to be, as Christians, dependable contributors. And when we're not dependable and we don't contribute, it frustrates everyone. Proverbs 10.26 says, Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. You've probably sat around a campfire when the wind shifts and blows all the smoke into your eyes. And it frustrates you. You have to get up. You have to move away from it. And he says, that's what a lazy person is like. They're like smoke in the eyes. And Christians are supposed to be, whenever we can, reliable contributors to our communities. And that's whether in, in our family or society or church community. But when we become people who are only consumers or who try to like work the system so we put in as little as possible and get out as much as possible, we end up being like smoke in the eyes. I think this can happen sometimes at church where, where people will come and, and make demands of the church but don't put in the amount of service that it would require everyone to put in to be able to meet those demands for everybody. So for example, I want to be part of a church where I can rely on people to volunteer to, to teach my kids' classes. But I don't want to be a reliable volunteer in some other part of church. It's not one for one. It's not that everybody who has kids in the classes has to teach in the classes, but, but we're reliant on volunteers to, to run those classes and teach those classes and do work. And are we all volunteering in different ways so that if everybody was living the way we live, the church could be healthy and do all the things that need to be done? 
Sometimes we say, I want to hear teaching, I want to worship, I want to receive counseling, I want this to be a place where I can invite friends, I want this to be a church that sends missionaries out and community is formed and more churches are planted, but I don't want to give or serve to make that happen. Or I want this to be a church where I'm loved and served and have people think about me and sacrifice their time for me, but I don't want to be the person who loves and serves others and thinks about them and sacrifices my time for them. It's really all the same principle. We're part of a community that we're called to build together. And it's a shameful thing to consume more than you give when you don't have to. And also we have to remember that laziness doesn't always look the same. It doesn't always look like the guy who sleeps 12 hours a day and then wakes up and hits the hammock. Um, that's one form of laziness, but that's not every form. I mean, Proverbs does say that form exists. Proverbs 16, 14 says, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard in his bed. So the door just kind of hangs there and swings back and forth and creaks, but never really goes anywhere. And some lazy people just lay around and aren't going anywhere and don't do anything. They don't believe that there should be any work in their lives. They think that they need to avoid work for some reason. They don't want to do what's required to eat. So funny verse, Proverbs 26, 15, it says, the sluggard bury his, buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. <laughs> Put my hand all the way down in the Doritos. And now I got to bring it all the way back up to my mouth. <laughs> like he's, he's like, this minimum labor he won't even do. He, he wants to eat, but he doesn't want to do the thing that you have to do to eat, which is work. And so that's one kind of laziness. It's the kind of laziness we're familiar with. But another is actually playing it too safe, which I don't think we normally think of this as laziness. But sometimes we can get to a place where we're so hyper-concerned for safety that we don't take the risks required to go to work, to try hard things, to, to take a risk, to start a new endeavor, to start a business, to, to sign up to serve in a ministry, to start a ministry. We, we just wanna protect ourselves. So sometimes we'll protect our energy too much. We'll protect our time and our margin too much. And we'll look for reasons that we shouldn't act. Proverbs 26, 13 says, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. So sluggard, you going to work today? No. Why? Lions in the road. I mean, that's happened. <laughs> like lions do come, come in the road in that part of the world for sure. Um, but everybody else is going to work. Well, not me. I, I don't want to risk it. You know, safetyism is, is making safety our ultimate priority so much so that we don't engage in good endeavors that require risk. We can be so afraid of losing our comforts that we don't act. We just kind of blame the lions. But there's always a chance that there's a lion in the street. There's always a risk. There, there are always things that go wrong. And we still have to work. We're still called by God to go out and give ourselves to good endeavors. So there's the, the laying around all day kind of laziness. There's, there's the playing it too safe kind of laziness. There's also just a regular excuse making kind of laziness where you just can't be talked out of it. Proverbs 26, 16 says, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. He's just always too smart to listen to anybody. 
He criticizes those who work instead of working himself. I don't want to work a job like that. It's kind of soul-sucking. It's a nine-to-five. It's a desk job. It's boring. That, that guy doesn't know how to live. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do menial work because you can't move up from there. I have a college degree. I'm not going to get that job for less pay than I'm worth. And, and all, always making excuses and can't be talked out of any of them. And so laziness can be laying around. It can be just excessively avoiding risk and being way too safe. It can be full of just being full of excuses. And it can also be being very active in pursuing things that don't produce good fruit. Proverbs 12, 11, again, he says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. This is like the the subtlest way, I think, for us to be lazy, which is to work a lot on the less important, less fruitful things. To work on the easy stuff, work on the fun stuff, be very, very busy with full days and full weeks, but lazy because we're not doing the hard things that could produce the best for our neighbor, for our church, for our family, for our company. I, worked, I once worked at a place where they had the most diligent groundskeeper, like who would work all day long, um, long hours. You went, went in early, he was the first one there. If you were leaving late, he was still there working on stuff, but he was just bad at prioritizing. And I remember there was a time, there was a big rainstorm, water just gushing through the ceiling in the lobby of this place. And, and he was there, but he was actually painting the ceiling of a closet and the whole other side of the building where nothing was, was leaking through. So working all day long, but the main thing that was the, the most disruptive and the hardest to deal with wasn't being touched. And so sometimes we can just get really busy doing lots of things that end up being just the easy pursuits instead of the, the hard and important things that we have to do. But normally the way the world works is there is plenty of bread for those who work hard at the right things. We can be confident that God made the world to be worked. And when we go out and do work, we can expect God's blessing and we can expect increase normally. I mean, when we do holy work, we can expect God to empower it. And you say, okay, well, yeah, but that, that's church work. God blesses that stuff. I'm in business. I'm a carpenter. I'm an entrepreneur. I can't do my work with that same faith that God will bless it. But yes, you can. Because all work that is, is moral work is spiritual work. And this is that lost doctrine of vocation. Um, the, the, the doctrine goes something like this. Martin Luther taught this often, that, that somewhere around the world today, Christians are praying to the Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And by doing any honest job, you're contributing to God's answer of that prayer. So someone is praying, give us our daily bread. And God blesses the work of the farmer who plants the wheat. God blesses the, the person who builds the tractor to harvest it. The person who drills for the oil to go in that tractor. The person who sells the steel to build the silo to store it. God blesses the person at the bakery. The person who plows the roads so that it can be transported. The truck drivers who get it all over the place. The person at the register at Wegmans selling it. God blesses all of that. And all of those people are one small part of God answering that prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Which means that all of that work has dignity. It all matters. 
It's all good. It's all helpful. It's not less than spiritual work. It's not like you're not serving the Lord when, when you're mopping the aisles at Wegmans. If you're doing good work, you are part of God's answering those prayers. There's also a lot of legend around Martin Luther. There, there was a time, according to legend, where Martin Luther told the milkmaids that they should be encouraged that their work is spiritual because when they milk the cows, God is milking the cows through them. Another time, according to legend, someone came up to Martin Luther and said, I want to serve the Lord with my life. What should I do? And so Luther said, what do you do? Now, obviously, this guy thought, I want to serve the Lord with my life. Must be a calling to the priesthood or to the ministry of some sort. So Luther said, what do you do? And he said, I'm a cobbler. I'm a shoemaker. And Luther said, then make a good shoe and sell it at a fair price. Like, do that work and do it to honor the Lord. We're called to be diligent at whatever our hands find to do. And then also when we are, we can expect that because God blesses labors, we may find ourselves increasing in, in our influence. And we should use every bit of influence, every promotion we get, every platform we get from doing good, hard work to make a great name for Jesus in our industry. And then if, if God does bless us with financial wealth, we use that to plow back in to the community around us plow it into the church, we plow it into the needs that we see around us, we plow it into other new endeavors. And if you work your job well for a long time, always working at doing it better, building your skills, working hard, you can expect that you'll probably gain more influence. Again, this is the way things normally work. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine says, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. If you get skilled at anything, there's a decent chance that a platform comes. We shouldn't be people who try to build platforms. We should be people who try to work really hard. And then any platform that we're given from that hard work, we use for the glory of Jesus. If you're skilled, he says, you can ascend. Now today, a lot of people think that, that everyone who rises to the top or everybody who's at the top of any industry or any organization, that they must have just gotten there by oppressing others stepping on others to get there. And certainly that happens. I think we've all known people who play dirty to get to the top um, in all kinds of different places. But we want to have wisdom that says that's not how everybody gets there. Some get there by diligence and hard work and skill and serving other people. Some get there by getting up and working really hard for lots of decades, building their skills, building their influence through, through hard work and love and service, not through trying to get to a platform, not through stepping on others. So he's called us to work. And, and so you say, all right, well, I'm young. I'm starting out. Like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. Like, what am I supposed to do with my life? How, what endeavors should I give myself to? Well, there aren't a ton of wrong answers. I mean, look around at the needs that you see. What, what needs do you see? What problems could you solve that are out there? What gifts and experiences do you, do you have that could be used? What skills and training have you already received that you could put to good use for others? Where's your best tra track record? Where, what things have gone the best in your life? What, what have been your most fruitful endeavors so far? Can you multiply those? What opportunities are in front of you? Where do you see some chaos that you could bring order to? What can you make? The people who know you well and are honest with you, what do they say you're good at? 
What does your spouse think you could do? Your small group, your, your pastors who know you, is, is there a real need for that skill that you have? So look at all those things and then take some risks and work hard serving other people, trusting God to provide the necessary blessings. And this, I think, is, is where we get to the heart of laziness a little bit. One of the reasons that we are lazy, one of the reasons we pursue less important things, one of the reasons we're not as fruitful is because we don't really trust God's blessing on those things. And there are two different ways that we could abuse work. One that Proverbs actually doesn't talk about a lot um, is overwork. And that's where we're driven by work. We find our identity in our work. It becomes who we are. We say, I've got to succeed. I, I, I know who I am from the work that I do. I'll sacrifice anything else so I can see, succeed in that work, including my family, including my walk with the Lord. Everything gets sacrificed on the idol of that work. That's overwork. That's certainly a problem. And that comes from just not trusting God. We don't trust God for our provision, so we have to go out and do it all ourselves. And then the other abuse of work is, is laziness, where we don't trust that if I go out and work, God will produce something. And so overwork and laziness both have the same heart underneath them. They both are not trusting God in his goodness. Sometimes we get lazy because we don't have much hope that life could be any different. Like we don't really believe that God would bless us. So I don't pour my energy into my children because I know I'm sinful and, and why would God bless my efforts in their lives? I mean, it's futile, they'll, they'll eventually just rebel. I don't wanna take any risks because I'm just not the kind of person that God blesses. I'm carrying this guilt with me, I'm carrying the shame. I just assume that, that God's allowing me to live but certainly not blessing me in my life. I really just deserve frustration. I mean, I'm so sinful. Why would God bless anything that I go out and do? And Proverbs says this, Proverbs 15, 19, the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. So we can have just a, a hedge of thorns in our way and we can think it will be nothing but curse for me because that's what I deserve. I mean, this verse says that if you're upright, you can expect God to bless you, but but if you're not upright, then you can just expect thorns. And man, I'm not upright. Like, why would God bless my work? Why would he bless my kids? Why would he bless my, my church endeavors? I'm not worthy of it. Things won't go well for me. They shouldn't. I deserve thorns. Which is true. But there's one who didn't. And he took the thorns. Jesus went to Calvary where a crown of thorns was placed on his head at the beginning of Genesis. You have, have those thorns lacing all of creation as creation is cursed. And then Jesus comes, the one who is upright, the one who is sinless, the one who didn't deserve that curse at all. And he goes to the cross and the, a crown of thorns is put on his head. Jesus took the thorns so that we could take the highway. That curse that we, we sense that we all deserve. The fact that we feel like God should be against me. If he's just, he should oppose my work and I should expect him not to bless me. That shouldn't be the expectation of a Christian. Because Jesus took that curse for us. When Jesus died on that cross, he was putting to death our sin. 
When Jesus rose again, he triumphed over the grave and he gives this offer that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so if you're willing to turn from sin and unbelief and turn to believe in him and believe that he died for you, believe that he was buried and that he rose again, believe that he took the curse that you deserve, then for you in that moment that you believe, he makes this great exchange. He takes the thorns that you deserve and he gives you that level highway that he deserved. He, he lifts the curse from you. And you're still in a cursed creation. There's still a lot that goes wrong. Our, there's a lot that can blow up in our, in our work. God, that things don't always go the way they're supposed to go. But we can live with confidence in his blessing and provision. And we can live with the sense that God is for us, not against us. So that means that we can go out and try things. We can take some risks. We can do some things that might blow up in our face because one thing we can't ever lose is having God right there for us. And so if we take that reasonable risk to start the business, to start the ministry, to sacrifice some time, to commit ourselves to, to a hard work, we don't necessarily know how that'll go. But one thing that we do know as Christians is that there is no future for us that doesn't have Jesus right there with us in it. And so if that's the case, what good endeavors can we give ourselves to this week? Mm -hmm.